am the Lord God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless. Those are powerful words for this Lenten season as we um, are fasting, many of us, uh, or we're taking on a new discipline, or maybe we're doing both. Uh, a time where we are, in a sense, doing some spring cleaning, getting the things out of our lives distract us from the reality and the truth of Jesus Christ, from what the cross means, what the resurrection means for not only our lives, but for the whole world. The Lenten season is a preparation to receive the changing of human history. And we have the 40 days because during the rest of the year after Easter, um, we, it's very easy to slip into a life that does not put Jesus Christ at the center of who we are, what we do, or what we choose. We fill our lives with uh, distractions or desires, you name it. Even good things, family, vocation, even really good things, gifts from God. We, we have a tendency to take these good things and make them ultimate things, displacing God, and therefore we need this 40 days of reset to refocus our lives on Jesus Christ. And so as a church, we're on a new teaching series this Lenten season over five weeks. Uh, it's called Faith Foundations on the Bulletin. And what we're doing is looking uh, more intently at our Old Testament readings and seeing the promises of God in the Old Testament that are fulfilled in Jesus Christ. For the reality and truth of Jesus didn't appear ad hoc as like a very like random idea God had to save the human race. In fact, Jesus Christ is the, ult the culmination and the ultimate act of God that has been doing from the beginning to redeem us, to save us from the destruction of sin and death that we put on ourselves. Jesus is that definitive act in human history, but really God's been doing this from the beginning, and so I think it helps our Christian faith, our Christian walk, to see what God's been doing throughout all human history, and hopefully as we do that as a community, when we get to Good Friday, when we get to Easter, we'll have... Um, deep reservoirs of praise and worship of the true God who loves us and saves us from death. All right, that's the, that's the prologue. We went hard there, but you got to catch up. We're looking at, at uh, Abraham this morning, the, uh, what's called the Abrahamic Covenant. And if, in case I don't land this, the main, I'm going to give you the main point right now. God has a future for each one of you. There is a future that God has um, set that cannot be moved or shaken. God's love for you, God's desire that you would have the life that he always meant for you to have, has been secured. God has a future for you. We can trust that. And we see that, well, most fully in Jesus, but it's important to see it in the story of Abraham. And we'll see why in a few minutes. We have a future. So let's at the context. Abraham's story, we read Genesis chapter 17. Uh, God comes to Abraham, and it's the institution of the covenant marked by the carving of flesh, circumcision. Hopefully I can keep things pretty respectful up here, but we know what we're talking about. It's a very, um, uh, you know, it's actually part, it actually wasn't technically part of the readings this Sunday. The, the folks who made the Rabbi's Common Lecture, they skip over the whole description, and then we're putting it in. You have to hear it at least this Sunday. The exact details of what happened transpired between God and Abraham. But I think to understand this moment, because it's, it's pregnant with so much meaning and, and hope, we have to quickly review Abraham's life. 
Because this is not the first time God has appeared to Abraham. There were four other times that God has shown up to Abraham. The first time is the beginning of Abraham's story when God comes to Abraham and said, well, he's called Abram. He says, leave your family and the city of Ur, leave them and come to a, a land. I'm going to give you a whole new life. I'm going to give you a, a, a great family. Just trust me. Just leave and go. And so Abraham trusted God. He left his family. He left his wealth. He left his comfort. He left everything that was predictable and secure. And he trusted God and he headed to the wilderness, not knowing really the details of the future, simply trusting in God and the promise of God. That's the first time. God then comes again to Abraham and says, again, reaffirming the promise, saying, you will have children as numerous as earth, grains of sand. You're going to have many children. Affirming that promise. He comes to him again when, I believe it was when Abraham and Lot separate. There's a whole story there, but him and his cousin just, or nephew don't make it. And so God comes to him again and says, you're going to have as many children as the stars in the sky. And God comes again, right before, I guess, this time, God comes to him, and it's a very fantastic uh, narrative where uh, God tells Abram, get these animals and carve these animals in half, put them on the ground. God shows up. Now, that's a weird story, and that's for another time, but in the essence, that whole story is what had been very common for the ancient mind to understand. There was a kind of promise that was made between uh, a stronger party and a weaker party. Think of it in a battle. So the victor, the stronger one, tells the weaker one, carve these animals, we're going to make a promise here where you're going to pay me taxes and fealty, I'm going to be your lord, and you walk through these animals, and if you break your promises to me right now on this battlefield, you and your people will be like these animals. You're going to be cleaved in half. We're setting the promise. And so interestingly, when God comes to Abraham as the greatest party ever, he's God, and of course humans were weak, and he says, carve these animals, noticeably God doesn't tell Abram to walk through it. God walks through the animals. In effect, saying, I have this promise for you of a life, a family, a future. And if you fail this promise, I'll pay the price. Which to Abram would have been extremely weird, but also that's the best deal, isn't it? I would love to sign this lease, and if you don't pay rent, well, we'll just cover that. Who? That's, that's a win. That's a layup. That's what Abram has. He has the promises of God. God has shown up repeatedly in his life. And today we have chapter 17, where now for the first time God comes to Abraham, Abraham and says, I have his promise for you. You're going to have a family, you're going to have a future, and we're going to have to carve some flesh today. The question, once we know that, that story of Abraham, is like, why this time? Why now? Is, why is it now a pound of flesh here? What's, what's changed? I can only tell you what I think. That's really all I can do. Um, we didn't read today, uh, but I encourage you to read it if you like. Chapter 16, I think, is very helpful to understand this chapter. Because in chapter 16, Abraham and Sarah um, do something. Uh, it's not good. And I think it sets the stage for something new to happen. You see, Abraham and, of course, Sarah, because they're a married couple, had received this promise from God of children, of family, of a life, of a future. Now, if you're a family today, if you're a woman today, not being able to have children is a real struggle. And I can't understate it. I, understandably, I can't understand that personally, but I can understand 
having people in my family, or people in my life that I have loved and struggled with that, it is a hurt. And so if you can conceptually hold that, you can also appreciate that at this ancient time, when families and children were everything, women weren't considered, there were more property than people, and the value of a woman was her ability to produce heirs, especially male heirs, to not be able to have family, uh, children was in effect to say, you were a non-person. So Sarah is struggling, and Abraham loves his wife, and they're struggling, and they can't have children because Sarah's barren, but God is showing up saying, but you're going to have a family. It's going to be huge. Trust me. But the decades go by, and Sarah and Abraham become really old people now. They're great-grandparent age. It never happened. Now, definitely, we can't have children. But God said, we would. What's happening now? We're the God promised me, we've been following you in the wilderness, we left everything behind, and you're saying we have a family, nothing's happening. And so Sarah takes his, her young slave, Hagar, an Egyptian slave, she grabs her and says, here, Abraham, you sleep with her. Then she'll have a baby, and at least I'll have, a, I'll have an inheritance of a family through her. And Abraham agrees. And from where we're standing, I think it's understandable to see how evil that is. By the standards of the age, yeah, maybe not so much, but I don't know. I think the Bible says a lot of clear things about what you can and can't do, and that I think it's fair to say they didn't they did what they would have known was wrong. Hagar has no autonomy, she's a slave, she has no choice, so she can't choose to say no to Abraham. She would have to carry this child to term. Right? Childbirth is always dangerous, but in this time in human history, it's deadly. So it's, it's terrible. But also significantly, what's happening here is in their not trusting God's promises, they, they do an evil. And a child is born from that, Ishmael. So that's what's happened. Chapter 16. Now we're in 17. Now God shows up. Now, I think the picture is being filled in a little bit. Now, God says to Abraham, affirming his earlier promises, my promise for your family is that Sarah will have a child. This MacGyvering that you did is not at all what I, I offered you, what I gave you. And in your lack of trust, you ripped the dignity of this young girl. So now, my promise for you still stands, but now I'm going to meet you, Abraham. I'm going to meet you at the very place where you don't trust me. I'm going to come down now, and now we're going to write this promise in flesh. I'm going to come to the exact place where you will not trust me. Because in the ancient uh, understanding of human anthropology, the family is reckoned by the male. It's the male generative, generative ability that is considered the family line. In fact, in places in the Bible, there are some places where two individuals are making a promise or a blessing is happening, a very important moment, and one person says to the other, put your hand under my thigh. My friends, that's just an, a euphemism. That hand isn't going under a thigh. That hand is going on the male genitalia. Testicles. 
Because the promise is being said that this promise, whatever promise we're making here, the blessing is predicated, my whole line, my whole ge- my, my generations to come are bound to whatever we're saying here. That's how important this moment is. Of course, that would be very uncomfortable to read if you're reading the Bible on a Sunday morning, so there goes the thigh. But now you know it's not the thigh. It's a very, it's a very important moment here. Right? There are laws in the Old Testament. If you're eye for an eye, right? You poke my eye, I poke you out. You hurt my testicles and I can't have children, death. That sounds very wild to us, but then we understand they're thinking our whole family. You just, you did genocide. Okay, so Abraham seeing himself as the beginning of a whole family, God says, I'm coming there now. Right there, I'm showing up. And it's going to hurt now. Because it would have to hurt. <sighs> that was a lot. And I can appreciate that. What, I, what God put on my heart, and I hope He's putting on yours, at least two things here. One is we're in Lent, and we're giving things up to refocus on Jesus. And it's important to see, we look at Abraham's story to recognize that what God is doing with Abraham is actually doing with all of us. In this sense, as not all of us, circumcision, I'm going to hang this as an icon, a moment where God's saying, I'm going to show up in the place that you don't want to trust me. And I'm knocking at the door right now. And we have to ask ourselves, what is the part of your life or who you are that you are not surrendering to God, that you're not trusting God with? That's a valuable question during the Lenten season. I don't know your spiritual walk in detail, and you don't know mine, so I couldn't know what we're talking about here, but you do. And maybe you, that thing that you struggle with that you can't hand over to God is precisely the thing that you're fasting right now. In which case, I'm praying for you that God be with you in this moment because God is showing up in that thing, in that moment, in that place that you don't want to surrender. Or maybe you're more like me and giving up something like chocolate, but every time you don't have that chocolate, it reminds you of that thing that you're not giving to God and therefore, same thing. You're still thinking about that thing you won't surrender to God. And that God is coming here and he's meeting you in that place that you won't give to him. God, I trust, oh yeah, I trust you, Jesus, here. I trust God here. I'll read your Bible, but there's this, I don't know about this, and I don't agree, and I just won't give that to you. Yes, generally, I'm on, I'm on board with your ethics and your politics, generally, but there's these things that you say that I can't get on board, I don't give that to you. Yeah, I, the whole Bible, I really agree to it, but 10% give it? I don't know. I can't see you there. I don't know what it is, friends. I can't put that on you, but you know the thing that it is. And I know mine. God is saying, I have a future. I have a life for you. Better and greater than you would ever choose for yourself, which is predicated on you trusting me. It says a spoiler, I guess. You know, Abraham and Sarah had a child. You may know that. Isaac. And God was faithful to his promise. It didn't happen the way they thought it would happen. But it happened. And God didn't forget Hagar and Ishmael. In fact, that whole story is just so beautiful. I encourage you to read it. But God doesn't forget that child either. And God blesses that family and they have 
a future too. God is a person who gives futures. Even when we mess up, God shows up and does something. So there's Abraham's story. And now I'm asking you to connect with that. Okay, it would be fair at this moment to ask and say, well, Seth, that's very good for, for Abraham. He got what he wanted. Him and Sarah got a child. But I'm struggling. I'm hurting. I have reasons for why I don't trust God in X, Y, Z. Because I feel alone or I'm, I'm nervous or I'm, I'm, I'm angry or I can't forgive. I, intellectually, I can't buy this. Whatever it is, I have reasons. Abraham got a kid out of it, but what do I got? What do I hold on to? understandable, I'd like to say. You know, it's interesting, because in that reading from St. Paul we had to the Romans today, Paul's thinking through the story of Abraham with us. And he says, really, Abraham doesn't earn God's blessings by carving his flesh. Really, it was all the whole time Abraham trusting God prior to that moment, just believing the promises of God that's the significance of his story. And I think it's important to hear Paul this morning. Because, yes, Abraham got a child, but Abraham never saw the nations, the kings and queens born into his family. He didn't see that. That wasn't fulfilled in his life. He still had to sit there and hope, well, I've got a, one little boy at my extreme old age. I don't know about this future. He had to go by faith, but he trusted God. And then, in the, fulfillment of, in the fulfillment of time, God shows up in Jesus Christ, the King of the universe, from his family line. And he comes to the earth, and he lives the life we should have lived. He dies the death we should have died. He's raised to a new life, resurrected life. And through Jesus, God is saying, when he said to Abraham, I'm fulfilling that promise, kings and queens, nations come from you. I'm a God that can be trusted. And then he says to us too, you have a future. I don't know what you're going through personally, but God says to you this morning, whatever hardship you're going through, whatever loss that you're suffering, the life that you didn't, that you're not living now, that you wish you had, the people that you've lost, everything that you've lost in trusting Jesus, God is saying, I have a future for you. That the pain, the hurt that you're going through now is does not have the last word, does not define your life or who you are. I've made sure that you have a future. And I've made sure about it because I have entered into your human history in Jesus Christ and I've paid the price on the cross. How? What does that mean? God made us and he made us good. There was always a good plan for our lives. We, in our, in our pride, divorced ourselves from God, invited death and misery into our lives, and that's the life that we live. My friends, even the best life you have is always marred, and even if you have it really good, you have to let it go because you die. Before you die, usually, if you live long enough, you're one of the blessed people who lives long, your body ends up not working before you die. It's, I do the hospital services, it's hard. You have to be feeling this is not the way it's supposed to be. It's not. So Jesus comes in this world. He gives us life. You know what he does? You know, Christians, because uh, Christians typically aren't circumcised in the Old Covenant. Do you know why? Because it's widely reckoned that 
But for us, uh, our circumcision is uh, baptism. It's the waters. You've been baptized. You've been included into the family of God. And that's notable. Because Jesus was baptized. You know, John the Baptist dunks Jesus. It's a whole show. And then after that moment, what did Jesus say? Every time he talks about his baptism, what does he talk about? His baptism is the cross. In effect, he's saying to all of us, I am the only one, God, man, who can be on the cross and repair the relationship that you broke with God. So I go into this water as a prefiguring of the waters of death that I'm going to cross for all of you. I will be divorced. I, though I'm perfect and righteous, and no one could ever say this but me, I will divorce my life from the life of God so that you can be reconnected with God. I will face the ultimate death so that for you, death is only a door to a new life of God. So, if you're a Christian, here's, the, here's where we land. Looking at Abraham's story, looking at what Jesus has done, this is the, this is the framework. We suffer. We go through hardship. The Bible is, I love the Bible, it's so realistic about this. The Bible never says you won't suffer. The Bible never says you won't hurt. But what it does say is that when you're going through the valley and it's dark, Jesus will be right there. And when you're hurting and when you're alone and life is just so hard, not only will Jesus be there, but if you're trusting him, you, your life, is found in Jesus. In other words, when you trust Jesus, it's not like he comes into your heart. I mean, he is in your life, but actually you're kind of held by him. And he will say to you, and he's saying to you now, every hardship you go through by definition is a bounded, is a limited thing. No hurt or suffering can have the last word in those who trust in Christ because if if he solved death, which is our biggest problem, then everything else, in the end, is a passing thing. So what happens when we still weep, we still cry, we still hurt, but we don't despair, we don't give up, we know this isn't the end. And as you're trusting Jesus with this, what I'm telling these words, I mean, you can tell yourself these words when you go through a hard time. I do. Use your own, but here's a framework. Jesus, I know this is hard, but I know this is not the last word of my life. I know this has an end. Even if it were to last the rest of my life, it has an end. Because I'm found in you. And as you trust him, God's life is growing a garden in your heart and your spirit. You're becoming resilient so that when you suffer, you're still a joy and a blessing to those around you. You're not just miserable and complaining. You're actually a gift to those around you. And you're being transformed to the likeness of Jesus so that when your death day comes, like Jesus, you'll walk through death. And death will just wash off of you because you'll be impervious. You'll have a life of God and a new life of Him. Here. It's very possible I'm reminding you exactly what you already know, in which case I hope that you're taking this to heart and you feel encouraged. If this sounds new to you, very pie in the sky, um, this has always been the Christian hope, so I want you to reckon with this. This is what it is. If death isn't solved, I'm not sure what we're doing. But since it has been solved in Jesus, and you ponder this, it will reconfigure how you walk through life. 
it will reconfigure that thing that you're not giving up. And so I invite you, my friends, in the name of Jesus Christ, to observe the Holy Lent, to consider that, I don't know what it is. You don't have to tell me. I mean, you can't if you want. You don't have to tell me. What's that thing that you won't give God, that you won't give Jesus? And surrender. And as you do that, that will feel like a, a little death, that self-surrender. I'm at the center of the universe. But you, you feel that death, God's life will rush into yours and you will be born again. It's not me saying something that is the promise of the living God. I admonish you and encourage you in the name of Jesus to do that, even today. Let's pray. Gracious and loving God, Lord, we thank you that you're always with us, God, in the midst of our trials, in the midst of our hardships. Um, we affirm right now that we are never alone. But God, it's also, we're also human and fallible. There are times when we genuinely do feel alone. Uh, we do feel that you're not there. Or we just don't understand. Your ways are inscrutable to us. God, I pray that in this season, especially of Lent, even today, that you would take your word and you would implant it in our hearts and minds and our lives in such a way that we might learn to trust you and trust in you, not despair, but just share your love, your hope, your grace, with those around us, with our family, with our friends, but also with ourselves. Help us to trust you, God. This we pray in the name of Jesus.